Well, our New Testament reading today is from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading from verse 10. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, reading from verse 10. I've only got a New King James, so it will slightly differ to what's on the screen, I think. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may or may not be aware that uh, in the last five years or so there has been something of a battle for the Bible going on in the scholarly Christian world. Uh, There has been a debate being carried on about the nature of Scripture. There have been a number of scholars who have come out and made some challenging comments Uh, We've had one scholar come out and talk about myth in the Old Testament, particularly in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, There is myth there, apparently. And another scholar has come out and said, well, not necessarily everything in the Bible is true. He didn't quite want to say what wasn't true, but it's not necessarily all true. Now, you may or may not be aware that this battle for the Bible is going on, uh, but it's... uh, Uh, always appropriate for God's people to come back and think again on what it is that we have with the Scriptures, to come and think again on uh, the nature of the Scriptures. And so we come this morning uh, to the classic text on Scripture, from Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. We're not going to look at the whole verse this morning, but just the opening words, the words that say in my version, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So not the whole verse, just those opening words. In fact, just three words, as Paul wrote it in the original language. My version sort of pads it out. But just three words in the original. Uh, So we have this morning a three-point sermon as we work our way through each of these words. Uh, The first word to come to, the easy word there, is the word scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that's easy enough to understand. The word scripture is not hard to understand. What does it mean to say that something is scripture? What does it mean to say that something is scripture? Uh, There's nothing fancy about the word. Uh, Scripture, uh, as we use it in English, is a word that simply means that there is a script there. 
that there is something that has been written. And so you go to the doctor and he or she might write you a script, we might say, uh, something that has been written. Of course, when we use the word scripture, we actually mean a whole lot more though, don't we? than simply saying here is something that's been written. When we use the word scripture, uh, what we are saying is this is the writing that has authority. That's what we mean when we call something scripture. This is the writing, this is the book of authority. This is the book that governs in this field, that has the right to rule in this field. So Paul speaks here of scripture. Uh, What book is he calling scripture? Uh, Which writing is he referring to here in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16? Well, that's very easy to answer as well because we look at the context, we look to verse 15 and it's very clear what he's talking about. He says this to Timothy, of Timothy, uh, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, Timothy was a Jew and he was raised on what we today would call the Old Testament. And so when Paul makes this statement here, in the very first place, he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is given by inspiration of God. The Old Testament is Scripture. It's not just Paul that thinks that. Every New Testament writer thinks the Old Testament is scripture. Every New Testament writer looks back to the Old Testament, quotes the Old Testament, relies upon the Old Testament. The Old Testament then is given by inspiration of God. And then there's probably some devious mind here thinking, well, if the Old Testament is given by inspiration of God, maybe the New Testament isn't. Is that what Paul is saying? He's only calling the Old Testament scripture. Well, I hope you're aware of this fact that the New Testament writers were self-consciously engaged in a program of writing new scripture, which was an audacious thing for them to be doing, but they believed themselves to be adding to the Old Testament canon. And you can see that uh, in comments such as that made by Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 to see what Peter says about Paul's writings. Peter quite clearly believes Paul had been writing new scripture. And so when we read this comment here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, we know that it actually refers to the Old Testament and also the developing New Testament canon. For us, the scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And that's it, isn't it? That is the entirety of it. This to us is scripture. It is to us the book of authority. This is the book that has the right to govern our lives. The question for you this morning, is it scripture to you? Is it scripture to you? Is it the book of authority to you? I wonder if there are ways in the church today in which we actually ignore the scripturalness of scripture. Are there ways in the church, are there ways in your life in which you ignore the scripturalness, the authority of this book? 
I wonder if you've ever had a debate with somebody about scripture that ends with you saying, well, look, that's just your opinion and I've got my opinion. Have you ever had one of those debates, maybe in Bible study, and the conclusion comes, well, look, no one really knows what this text means, no one really agrees. And it's increasingly becoming the case in our day and age that we're not only disagreeing about what the scriptures mean, and we'll always have some degree of disagreements, but we've become quite happy in our disagreements. We're very happy to disagree, aren't we? And why is that? Well, is it because we think it doesn't really matter? Is it because we think that no one really knows what this book is about? Let it, now let me put it to you this morning, that when we think in that way, that we're actually undermining the authority of Scripture. We're undermining the right of our God to rule over us. If we have it lodged in our brains that somehow this book is not clear, then I suggest to you today that it's not a book that's ruling over you. If it's not clear scripture, for you it is not scripture at all. If it's not clear, then God is not speaking to you. Therefore, how could this book be ruling you? Are there ways today in which we undermine the scripturalness of scripture? Doesn't it just shake you to the core of your being to hear well-intentioned Christians saying you can bypass the Old Testament? Have you heard this before? You hear people from time to time, well-intentioned Christian people. They say, well, look, the Old Testament is very interesting. The Old Testament, though, it is old and it's outdated and it's been replaced by the new. And they'll say, well, look, I'm a New Testament Christian. That should shake you to the core of your being when you hear that because, again, that undermines the authority of this book. It undermines the scripturalness of Scripture. This morning, let Scripture be Scripture in your life. Let scripture be scripture in your life. Accept it and believe it and obey it for what it is, the authoritative word of God. Don't dumb it down. Don't qualify its authority out of existence. Don't dare look down your nose at the Old Testament. Don't dare do anything or think anything or say anything that would in any way impinge upon the authority of Scripture. And people of God this morning, don't leave your Bibles unopened either. Because that is the simplest denial of the authority of this book. To simply leave it as a closed book. How does God rule in your life if you're not reading his word? The scripturalness of scripture, this is the book of authority. Open it, read it, listen to it, believe it, obey it. The scripturalness of scripture. Now coming to the second main point this morning, what makes the scriptures the scriptures? What makes it scripture? What gives it its authority? We've said it's got authority. 
What gives it its authority? Well, if I were to write a note to you right now in which I told you to go and jump off a cliff, would you do it? If I were to write a note to your minister, dear Chris, dear Reverend Sirawira, go and jump off a cliff, do you think he would do it? And I suspect that he probably wouldn't. And I suspect what would happen is he would read the note and from reading the note he would look up to Jared and he'd say, who on earth is Jared Hood that I should do what he says? And yet here we have a book and it gives you all kinds of commands. Why should you obey them? What is the authority of this book? What gives it its right to command. And so we come to what is the big word. And so it is a big word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, my version says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's a very long way of putting it. It's all just one word, as Paul wrote it. Given by inspiration of God, but all one word in the original Greek. Now, I'm going to break every rule in the book about how to preach. They say never quote the original language, but I'm going to quote the original language this morning because you're all very clever people and you can work out what this word means. The word, it's just one word in Greek, it's a very long word, it's the word theonoustos. Theonoustos. Now, it's a combination, in fact, of two Greek words. Paul's taken two Greek words, he simply ran them together to form one new word. Theonoustos. Now you know what that word means, if you just stop to think about it for a moment. The first half of the word there, theo. Uh, the Greek word is theos. And you know that word, what does it mean? It means, someone help me out because I've forgotten, it means God. Okay, we speak of theology, don't we? Theology. It's the study of God. So Theo, something to do with God here. The next part sounded a bit strange, didn't it? Neustos. Theoneustos. Now that does sound awfully strange. It's a variant of the Greek word pneuma, if that helps you, which starts with a P, P-N, pneuma. And you know that word as well because we use this word in English, pneuma. Uh, let me ask you, how did you get here to church today? Uh, most of you, some of you may have walked. I didn't hear what that, uh, what that was, but most of you would have driven. Uh, we certainly drove here. What does a car need to run on? What does a car run on? I mean, not the petrol, but what actually connects it to the road? It runs on the tyres, doesn't it? It runs on tyres. You can call them pneumatic tyres. Why do you call them pneumatic tyres? Because you've put air in them, haven't you? Okay, they've got air in them. Pneuma, the Greek word for wind or breath. Theoneustos means God breathed. God breathed, which is exactly how the NIV put it. God breathed. What does Paul mean by that? All scripture is God breathed. Well, let me ask you, how do you speak? By which I mean to ask you, what physical bits do you need to have to be able to speak? Uh, You need uh, a mouth 
and a tongue and lips and teeth, that all helps you with the sound. You need your, your, uh, your vocal box, your, uh, you need to uh, uh, speak out through here and out through the mouth, but something just down here as well. Uh, what is it you need? You also need your lungs, don't you? Because what is the process of speaking? You breathe in, you take a deep breath in, and then you exhale and you breathe the air out over the voice box and out through the mouth. And so Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. The very words out of the mouth of God, that's what he is saying. He's saying that this book is the book from God. It is a book from heaven. All the words in this book started off in the mind of God. These are God's thoughts recorded on paper as though he were talking. God's breathed out words. Breathed out by the one who is termed in scripture the holy breath of God, the holy pneuma, the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us God is the author of this book. And you see that means that we know the authority of this book then. Have you noticed the connection between the word author and authority? If you know the author, you know the authority of the writing. This book here, this Bible, it carries all the authority of the person of God. His full weight is behind this book. It's not just Paul who commands you. It's not just Moses who commands you. It's your God. This is a word from your creator to you. And what does that say about your need to read it and to obey it? A God-breathed book. Let's just think a little bit further on this this morning. Let's expand upon this text. Let's move out from this text. Thinking on this idea that it is God-breathed. It's a book from God. What else does that tell us about the nature of this book? It has all kinds of implications. In fact, it's true of any book, isn't it? When you read any book, you get something of the personality of the author, don't you? You read a book and you you learn something about the author, don't you? And in fact, when you read a book, the author's personality is stamped on the writing. And it's the same with this book too. God's divine perfections are stamped all over this book. And so we think, is, is God a loving God today? Is God a loving God today? This book here has been termed a love letter. Is God today a reliable God? Of course he is. And you can rest and rely upon this book that comes from him. Is God 
one today? Is he unified? This book is unified from cover to cover. Is God powerful today? This book is a powerful book and it can transform and it can save. But the big issue of the day, the big issue of the day, the elephant in the room as it were, is this book the truth? Is this book the truth? Does it speak the truth? Is it inerrant, as uh, the theologians put it? Is it without error? Is it entirely true in everything that it says? And that's the debate that's raging at the moment. We've had a scholar come out and say, well, look, just because God wrote this book, it doesn't mean that it always tells the truth. Uh, God could have given us a book with error in it if he had wanted. That's the argument. Is that possible? Could God have given a book to us which assents to error? I suppose you could answer, well, yes, in a sense. I mean, in a sense, every book ever written has been written by the sustaining hand of God. But this isn't just any book, is it? This is the God-breathed book. There's no other book in history like it. The God-breathed book, a book that originates with God unlike any other. It would be an assault and an insult to the very being of God to say that there was error in this book. It would make God to be a liar. It would make God inconsistent with himself that these breathed out words were wrong. How could that be? It is unworthy of us, unworthy of us to think for even a moment that God could speak a lie. This is dishonouring to God. This would be the original sin in the garden. For you to think that this book has error in it, that is the original sin. That was the first sin of the woman in the garden. She didn't believe God's words. It is rebellion. It is rebellion. This is a God-breathed book. Therefore, it is the truth. It speaks the truth in everything that it affirms to be true. It is true. And give thanks to God for that. Do you realise what that means? Now we've had someone say recently that we only want to have a true Bible because we like to win arguments. Is that why we're so glad to have a true Bible? Not at all. We give thanks to God that we have a true Bible. Why? Because it means that we have the true Christ. And having the true Christ, it means that we have true salvation. We praise God for this. We have an inerrant Bible, a Bible that speaks the truth because it is God's very word. Well, that brings us to finally then and uh, to what is the first word in the verse and the small word in the verse. Uh, the, The word that says all or every. 
Every scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. It gives rise to a very serious question to be asked this morning. How much of scripture is God breathed? How much of scripture is God breathed? What is the extent of this inspiration? Now, again, we've had a scholar come out recently and say, well, look, the Bible is mostly true. It's mostly true, but not necessarily all of it. Uh, The unimportant bits mightn't be right. This argument's been put out there. The unimportant bits mightn't be right, which gets you wondering, really, well, how do you know which the unimportant bits are? I mean, who gets to judge which the unimportant bits of Scripture are? And we're told it's the bits to do with science and history as though science and history is unimportant, as though history, of all things, is unimportant. Our salvation is worked out in history. But what does Paul say? Just that small word, a word is all. All scripture is God-breathed. You realise Paul didn't need to say all? He didn't need to say all. He could have just said, Scripture is God-breathed. That gets the job done. I think Paul knows what we're like. Just in case there's any doubt, all, all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does all mean today? What does all mean? It means all of it. In its totality, the whole of it, all of it put together is inspired by God and it means every part of it as well. Every part of it taken piece by piece is from the mouth of God. The whole of it and every part of it, all of it, all surprisingly means all. You can rest and rely on it all. It is all Authoritative. It is all powerful to save. Not just a book here or there, not just your favourite book. Not just the general thrust of it. Not just a page here or there. Not just a sentence here or there. Not just a word here or there. But all of it. All God breathed. The whole of Scripture down to the final stroke of the pen. All is God-breathed. Now, if you want to talk about the unimportant detail of Scripture, let's talk about the unimportant detail of Scripture for a moment. What does Jesus say? He seems to talk about the unimportant detail. In a text you'll be moving close to this evening, I believe, Matthew 5, verse 18, Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. One jot and one tittle will by no means pass away. What is a jot? What is a jot? A jot is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's called a yod, and it's just a tiny little mark. It looks like a comma in English. It's so small you can easily miss it on the page. It's a whole Hebrew letter, though. That's what Jesus is talking about, even that little stroke of the pen there. And the tittle, well, that's a funny little word, isn't it? What's a tittle? It's a little squiggle or a little line in a character. Uh, Think of the difference, if you will, between a capital P 
and a capital R. Just one little stroke of the pen there, isn't it? That's, that's a tittle. Just one little stroke of the pen. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying down to the very last stroke of the pen. It's, it's all important. It's all scripture. It's all God's word. And you think it through. Of course it's down to the last stroke of the pen because what happens if you try a change a stroke of the pen in one letter? You change the whole letter, don't you? If you change the letter, what have you done? You've changed the word. If you change the word, what have you done? You've changed the sentence. You've changed the whole meaning. As Frank Sinatra used to say, all or nothing or nothing at all. The whole is from God. Every part is from God. Or else don't bother saying any of it's from God. Even the last little detail, and sometimes when your minister comes in the pulpit here, he might speak about an entire chapter of scripture, but sometimes he'll come down to the detail. I don't know if uh, Chris does this, sometimes he might talk about the tense of a verb. And you might think, oh, I'll just stifle a yawn here, this is a bit dull. The tense of a verb? Let me say to you, it's part of scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, listen up. And see what it is God is saying to you, even in the small detail of his book. All scripture is God-breathed. Do you see it this morning? Do you see it this morning? What a marvel it is that you have in front of you right now. What a marvellous thing it is that you have in the pew in front of you, that you have on your bedside table at home, that you have on your phone even these days. The word of God. The word of God, the pure, untainted, authoritative, powerful word of God himself. Let me tell you about Augustine. Just one small thing about Augustine. Who was Augustine? From the 4th, 5th century, he was a great theologian in the church. Some say the greatest theologian from way back in the early church period. Uh, Augustine. Uh, didn't grow up a Christian. He, he lived a life of immorality. Uh, he's very well known for uh, one of his famous prayers, which was, Lord, grant me chastity, but not yet. You see, he was aware of the core of the gospel, but he wanted to put it off. It was the year 386 AD, and Augustine tells us that he was under conviction of sin, that he was fighting against God. And he tells us that he was in his garden, his home in Milan, in what we call Italy. He says that over the garden wall he heard a child singing. He doesn't know if it was a boy or a girl, he says, But he heard the words of the song, and the words of the song were tolly leggy, tolly leggy, tolly leggy, of course, in Latin, which means take up and read, take up and read, take up and read. Now, what the child meant by those words, no one knows. Why was the child singing that song? But Augustine did what the child said. And he had a copy of the scriptures. He, he took them up and he read. 
The text fell open to Romans 13, 13 to 14, which is a most unlikely conversion text. It says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Augustine says this, no further would I read, nor did I need to, for instantly as the sentence ended by a light, as it were, of security infused into my heart, all the gloom of doubt vanished away. And the power of the word of God changed his life right then and there. This morning, all scripture is God-breathed. Tolly-leggy, tolly-leggy, tolly-leggy. Take up and read. Take up and read. Take up and read. Amen. Let's pray.